Today's show is sponsored by Hems. Forhems.com is your one-stop shop for men's hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness. Try Hems for one month for only $5 by visiting forhems.com slash badchristian. Today's show is also sponsored by tripping.com with rates up to 80% less than traditional hotel rooms. Tripping.com slash badchristian is where you need to go to book your next vacation rental. Tripping.com slash badchristian. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. Three, two, one, Joey Swenson. It's the bad. It's the sexy bad. It's the naughty bad, bad, bad Christian podcast. Are we the naughtiest podcast? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's nothing dirtier, nothing hey, here in the whole world. It, is almost any time, if you're not speaking to a kid, like as a parent, is the word naughty always used like sexually? You're, <laughs> you're being naughty. Like, have you ever said that to a, an adult and it not been like you're trying to fool around or something like that? Like, so it's either something that children do. Like, I don't, only, I don't use that word with my kids even, behavior. but I've heard parents no. say, oh, you're being naughty. Stop doing that. I, I, I understand that, but like, naughty. If you say it to an adult, it's almost. I think one hundred percent. It's. I think you might I'm be about, right. We're about to get naked, <laughs> right? Oh, you want to get yeah. naked? I think y'all think differently. Yeah, that, that might be. True. I think it's funny when you use the word ugly because that seems like something a, gram, a grandma says to like a grandkid. Yeah, like, quit acting said, ugly. Sure. I love that. Now, I thought about making a T-shirt. It's acting ugly. I thought that'd be so good. This it, that's what it's, you acting ugly. I thought that'd be a good T-shirt. Uh, Speaking of T-shirts, we sell T-shirts with Emory and with BC Supply and with Bad Christian. We got some really cool T-shirts. Uh, you know what, too? I will say this about our merchandise. It's so comfy. I can't believe yeah, man, how comfy our T-shirts are. Like, I, I never thought about it. It's funny, being in Emory back in, you know, 2001 or two, we thought, God, it costs this much to make the T-shirts. I hope they sell. <laughs> Let's get the cheapest one, no matter what. And who knows? Because you just worry. You're not thinking about... Some kids comfort. It's so weird thinking back about all. I that. know we used to get shirts for like four twenty five. Yeah, you'd sell them for maybe five, and you sell them for ten. And if you sell right. them for more than ten, you felt guilty, like yes. you're being greedy or hurting people. Right, <laughs> y'all know. Seriously. Y'all know. I was, you know, I was you, so hard up on money one time that, I, like, I actually had the very first two T shirts that you guys put out. One of them, Devin did a little sketch, a computer yeah. sketch of mm-hmm. a big crowd with uh, Emery on stage, and then the other one was like reminiscent of i guess like colorado rockies except it said emory and it had mountains yep. i had both of those and i put them on ebay <laughs> and you sold them yeah <laughs> oh god joey to make money like we gave you a shirt you god. sold it to get to, uh, to you know, sorry, how much did you make said a hot pocket like 25 dollars each maybe <laughs> dave our drummer's family member did that and we made fun of him Badly and think he's a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, but somebody in Dave's family had so he saw it on uh, eBay and he looked and it was it was somebody in his family that was, was selling, selling signed posters. Yeah, most. he got he came and got signed so, at the show. Did, how much did you say you got for him? Do you remember? Probably about the cost of a t shirt nowadays. And, and you were super happy, like you were like it ma- helped you make it. I make ends hey, I, I I have done. Have y'all? I don't have y'all really ever care. Done some, I don't really care. I know. Have y'all ever done some pretty cool turnarounds? Like check this out. This this is probably the one that I'm the most proud of. I went to an estate sale, and this person had. You could tell he just collected hats, 
and he had a 1992 Barcelona Dream Team hat. He had a 91 NBA Chicago uh, Bulls championship hat, and there's one more. I can't yeah. remember what it was. I put them on eBay. First of all, I bought them for about a dollar each. I put them on eBay. I made about 80 bucks. I was so excited. I was like, I mean, I, I have not done something like that uh, on a routine sort of like regularly, but I was like, man, that is really cool. You know what? It's really funny. It, it seems like that's something you should do, like finding something and selling it on eBay. Yeah, I really like have right time up for your, that. I really have time Something from the 90s maybe, yeah, but, something nostalgic. But it is perhaps. funny. If you had any of that stuff, it would be worth more now, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, all of, even the Emory shirt, like the very first Emory shirt, I would pay you money for that yeah. i'd pay you a lot for that i would love to frame that and have that i mean that's the that's on the columbus eat the that's the cover of the columbus eat the and all of that stuff and it's just i mean that'd be great i, I don't have any of that stuff that's funny uh well it's, i've always thought it funny that we make uh we probably especially the first half of our career most of the money was made with just selling t-shirts because you don't get paid shit to play when you're first few years of your right, career yeah. hundred dollars when a you're show, big maybe you're still making a hundred or whatever you know all right, folks, men don't like talking about themselves and things that they're not the most comfortable with. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And the thing is, when you start to notice hair loss, it's too late. It's easier to keep the hair you have than to replace the hair you've lost. Seriously, talk to Joey Swenson. <laughs> is that hairline slowly starting to move backwards? Any bald spots yet? How? Will you feel a year from now if it's business as usual up there? I ask you, folks, do you want a bald spot to pop up, or would you rather do something about it first? I think that's what you want to do. Solution is 4hims.com. They're awesome. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness. And I was just reading a cool article about 4hims, and they're legit. They're a new company, and they have gotten awesome funding and support, and everybody is really liking what they're doing because they are rad and doing it really well. Hims connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss, well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair, no snake oil, pills, or gas station counter supplements. This is the real deal stuff, folks. Seriously. So easy. Answer a few quick questions. A doctor will review and prescribe you. Products are shipped directly to your door. So order now. Our listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. So go to 4 slash badchristian. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash badchristian. 4 Slash bad Christian. I, I think I can. I, I think it's safe to say right now I am at capacity, and I, I I don't care about. I'll brag on myself. I don't care. I think I'm really no. I'm no nope, shifting. He's shifting gears here. Yeah, no. I think that hang I, with him. I'm, hey, you're slow. He's fast. You better <laughs> hang with him. That's right. I think he's at capacity. At this point, if we pause it, <laughs> let's just all admit nobody knows what Joey's talking about yet. And we yeah, will. You will so soon. I'm just, I'm just curious how much longer it's going to take. Could Go be ahead. at T-shirt am, capacity. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any more dresser drawer space for my T-shirts. <laughs> no, but I, I, I'm really good with my time. I'm very efficient. Mm-hmm. I'm a hard worker. I get a lot of stuff mm. done. And yeah. Toby called me the other day, and I, I, you know, I was appreciative of the gesture that he thought that I would be. Uh, 
a, a good ingredient of the labeled podcast with some of the older interviews, but it was just like, that sounds fun. It wouldn't feel like work. I just don't have time for it. Like, like, so right now we're basically, we do bad Christian that takes up a, a decent amount of time. Um, I'm a, Pastor, father, husband, these things. I mean, you guys relate to this sure. stuff. Y'all have the same what is sorts that, your of roles. Twitter profile? Past, yeah. Pastor. But then, husband, you know, like, like the servant of Christ. Even pastor with no answers. I have I have like figured out how to how to make that as least time consuming as possible into like just when I schedule one thing, I'll try to schedule like three little short things. But still, I, I don't I, I think I'm maybe at the first time in my life to where Anytime someone asks me to do something extra on a regular basis, I just have to say no. I don't think I. I don't think I have that. I mean, do you guys feel like y'all are? Well, it's funny out? talking about podcasts because, like, here's something interesting. Like, we do Bad Christian, and it has taken all three of us. And Matt has a vision. Joey has a vision. I have a vision. We all do our own things within the umbrella of Bad Christian, and it we do make money. And it is important, and we actually like it, and it's all, all this. Everybody who's listening knows what we're talking about right now. But it's funny we each do also do our own podcast. Joey has Password No Answers. Matt does uh, Break It Down podcast, mm-hmm. the Break It Down podcast, and I do Song Rescue. And uh, I was doing Unstoppable Badass Change to because it was it was becoming overwhelming to me trying to do the technical side of it, like get all the voices recorded well and presented well, everything. So it was kind of becoming overwhelming. But it's interesting that. Uh, so many people ask us about podcasting and how to do it and what do you need to do and what's the right equipment and all this stuff with the underlying assumption. It always ends up. And then how do you get ads and make money? Right. Like, I think that's, well, you, you know, know what you know the what real mean? underlying assumption is what? for most people is we want to be, on, okay. We want to be on BC family. You got, no, 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 no. The real thing that's usually going on in most conversations is you're talking to somebody who probably is smart, articulate, talented, all these things, and they'll they how did they one hundred percent think? Well, you did these it. buffoons. <laughs> now that's this is not the part they start with because people ask me about podcasting many times a week. But I, I know the underlying assumption is, well, if they, they can do it, can get money doing that. <laughs> Surely to God, right? I, yeah, so now now well, just tell me where where do I got to sign? Like how many? What, just tell, you know, hey. hook me up with the guy's phone number that gives you all the the, the ads or yeah. whatever. You know, that's what for sure. Thinks. That's but, but it's funny. But it's funny. Like the idea there too is that if you start with the idea, I want to do podcasting because I could be successful at it, and that the underlying thing there is money or fame, or whatever. It almost isn't going to yeah, work. Don't. Because yeah, for example, all three of our podcasts are way smaller than Bad Christian. Like on our own, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't equate to uh being huge and I mean the truth is one of the They don't reasons, make any money. Right. right. And the reason why we so, still do them. So and why we're good do you do it? Yeah. And we know how to make well, money well, with podcasts. Let's, and we do podcasts that don't make money. Well, I, why I, do you I, I tell why people, do you do that? Joey, I, if you're at capacity, why would you spend your time doing a podcast that doesn't make money? Yeah, I have definitely thought about what does my life <laughs> look like if I give Pastor with no answers up. And I don't yeah. like it. I don't like the thought of not doing it because I really do enjoy it. Go. And I, I guess here's how I kind of describe it to people. It's like, you know, I enjoy being a pastor. I enjoy working at Seacoast, but there was always something missing because I couldn't necessarily express everything in my head and in my heart yeah. in through the lenses of Seacoast. That just, that door wasn't open. So Bad Christian provided that opportunity. And I just felt like, man, this is so awesome. I get to do everything I want. But then you guys know me. I'm I'm 
kooky. I'm weird. I talk about stupid things, and no. I and I really would no. love to talk about theological stuff and and just do all sorts of random different things. So now I get to do a pad- podcast where. I'm not concerned about building up a huge listenership. Now, sure, if more people listen, great. Uh, I'm not concerned about making money off of it because that's just not working if I am concerned, but I'm doing it because I really, really like it. And one one thing that I really like about Pastor With No Answers is I, I just ask friends that I respect that are in my life to come on and talk about stuff that I think is super interesting. Me personally, it's almost like a podcast that feeds my desires to hear mm, stories yeah. and to hear other people's perspective. It's not really for other people. Now, a great byproduct is that other people seem to enjoy it a little bit. But, I mean, I'm even shifting gears a little bit. I'm going to add some different stuff to it. Like, I'm going to share friends' songs, for instance. And not I, I'm not going to give up the debates and the theological, cultural stuff and the sad stories and those sorts of things. But I definitely want to add some more elements uh, to it as well. But, yeah, I'd... I, I do pass with no answers for one reason. I like it and I enjoy it. Yeah. Now, if it ever became something that I felt like I wasn't spending enough time with my family because of that, then I would stop. But other than that, I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, you guys feel the same way. Yeah, I think I the only, the, well, the only thing for me is I would say I, I do really enjoy I, I actually enjoy probably more the process of podcasting with a co-host. So like doing it with Devin, who's in Emory as well, doing ours is fun because one, uh, Devin's funny and talented and good, so it makes the workload less, but also it is really fun. Like That was one of my favorite parts about doing the Unstoppable Badass podcast is just taking somebody's song and cutting up and also making it better. Like That is fun to me. So the reason I do it, I don't know if I'll do it forever or I'll do it you know, uh, two years from now. I don't know what I'll be doing, but the reason I do it now and take the time to do it knowing I'm not going to make any money at like we're going on, you know, we're on tour, and I had to plan to do this before uh, I had to get song rescue episodes done before I went on tour. I take the time out of my days because I like it, and I think it makes me better. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's really going to be any money to be made, or I'm not going to get, you know, it's not going to grow to the size of Bad Christian. I'd love it if it did, but I don't. That's not my goal because if that's my goal, it's going to never get there. You know what I mean? Like that. Like our Bad Christian goal was literally like the reason we started Bad Christian was. We're like, man, I don't know if people totally understand us or are getting our the entire picture just out of the written word. Because we were doing blogs and we're like, what if what if people what if we could talk, which we're better at, I think, than writing, because we're not the best writers, um, at least not then. And then uh and so that's where it came it it came out of Bad Christian came out of not getting rich. It came out of just expressing our ideas, which is what our that's what Pastor with No Answer is. And I think that Matt, I guess that, what was your idea behind Break It Down? Why do you do it? Uh, I don't even hardly think of. Let's see. If I'm going to tackle this, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it slightly differently. First of all, okay. I don't know that I'm busy. I like to try to not be busy. To be honest, um, everybody says busy all the time, and there's the sense where I feel like I'm overwhelmed. But most moments of the time, like I, I'm on air and on mic a good amount a week, like many a few hours, like I don't know, ten hours. The rest of the time, I'm just doing whatever is an emergency or what I feel like doing. And sometimes it's yeah. trivial things. And I think I do actually have some free time, but I just choose to do different. I mean, there's a million more things I could be choosing to do that are not getting my attention, and that's bad. So I could have unlimited work to do. But when I'm doing any of the things that I'm doing, I'm very strict on, and that's why it's only emergencies or what's most entertaining to me. I'm very strict on designing my life to make it be where I do stuff that I want to do. 
I don't do anything I don't want to do. I mean, I'd have to do some stuff I don't want to do, but I'm trying to get that down as least as possible. And when I'm podcasting, to me, I am just talking and I'm learning and I'm being stimulated. That is what I'm trying to do all the time. And so I can do it on air, but it's just interesting. So I'm trying to have conversations that I'd want to have off air. And then I struggle because I would like to make the conversations more geared toward me, but that might become boring to other people. I don't know. But the point is, even if the conversation didn't air, I learned something and I enjoyed it. That's what I'm trying to do. And so it's also practice because, you know, I like talking. I was telling Toby, basically I'm doing a pretty good job of designing this thing the way I want because all I do is ruminate and have ideas and listen to podcasts and talk about ideas with my friends or cut up or somebody that knows something I don't. That's what I would want to do despite anything else. I want to stand yeah. around at McDonald's in the morning at 7.30 for, in my retirement with three or four other old men and do this. That's what I want to do until I die. Talk about shit. Explore <laughs> ideas. Yeah. Learn stuff. Be stimulated. I want to stand around the gas station all day with three or four other people and chit-chat. That's what I want to do. Now, it's nice that you can do it for other people or other people can learn stuff or you can make money at it. So it's also practice. So... I would like to be a better broadcaster or a host or a personality or a thinker or whatever it is, but I'm not that good at it. But I'm I'm getting the reps in. So it's uh, I don't care if it makes any money. Check me out in 10 years. If I'm still doing this, talking and thinking and learning and sharing in 10 years, I'll be pretty good at why it. Why does this? I don't, I don't, I'm not even good at it now. I don't even care. So what? Why does this podcast work? Like the podcast <laughs> we're Ain't doing right now. Well, that comes back to what I was saying before earlier, which other people are resentful and jealous that it does, which makes is really one of my greatest pleasures. It really is. Because I know it's just the bozo show over here. I know we're just clowns. And I just get so much joy out of the fact. I'm not, I don't really want other people to fail or anything like that. I hope everybody's successful. But I get a very pleasurable kick out of the fact that people think that we shouldn't have the success that we do. I love that because we, you know, like, it's not that the thing that we don't take it seriously and let ourselves look stupid is what makes it so rewarding that that actually is the thing that makes it work. I just get, I get such a kick out of that. I, I would say too, uh, to answer that question, honestly, not to make a joke, something about us three, obviously we're friends, but something about us three in this dynamic pulls stuff out of the other two. Like I pull stuff out of you two. Y'all pull stuff out of me, all, all those things. So the dynamic here is, always decently level. We all has a, have a point of view. And even if we agree, there's some nuance to everything that we say. So I think it's intriguing to people that a lot of bases are covered. Now, there's tons of times where people think, yeah, they're just stupid and I disagree with all of them. But for the most part, too, a lot of people think, well, at least I can agree with that pastor. He was the level-headed one that, that yeah, episode yeah, yeah. or something like that. You know what I mean? Like that, like that's what's kind of cool about it. And I, and I agree, I think – the main thing, the reason why this works too is because it's fun and I think people can tell that. Like we're having fun and we draw each other out and do stuff like today. Joey does not feel good. Didn't even more, really want to do a, another podcast. Needs to get home. He's got a long drive and he's like, you know what? My buddies, this is fun. I'm going to stick around here. Uh, he's at, you know, and, and that's why you're here right now, right, Joey? Yeah. My, I just found out that my son has been rushed to the hospital, and I'm like, I got to, you know, I got to do this. The podcast. Catch him later. I mean, yeah. Uh, what? He, he likes eating, doesn't he? Right. He likes, yeah. I mean, you, what are you going to do? Pay that just medical leave? bill yeah. somehow. <laughs> you think if you're preaching a sermon at Seacoast and, you're, and you're, your son goes to the hospital, you quit the sermon? Right. Of course not. You, you want to send people to hell forever? Seriously. Or do you, There's lives I mean, at stake. I, I, this, this is very, uh, it, I, I will say one thing that, has been troubling me 
a, a little bit, and I and I I think I had a I think I had a God moment. I think God mm. showed up, guys. So I was thinking about like our house church in Charleston and just how loosey goosey the whole uh, evangelical aspect of it is. Like we are not in any way focused on uh, bringing other people in. If, if if other people come in, it's just because of very spontaneous word of mouth. We're not trying to tell people about Jesus or yeah. anything like that. And I, it's just that just goes against the grain of how I've always been. It's like, it's like no, we I think we got to be motivated with the gospel and all that stuff. But then it just hit me, and it was like there we have created an environment in which people are very interested. The people that are in the group, they're interested in finding more about the truth together in community. And then it goes back to what Toby says, and I know we're totally shifting gears, sorry, but it goes back to what Toby says is if God is real and if he is the truth, then that is a very worthy endeavor worth calling a church, you know, worth calling something good, uh, a, a community of people that are wanting to narrow down to, hey, what is the truth? Is this God that we serve the truth? So um, just kind of a little crossroads that I was at with this whole house church thing. You had to bring it back to God. Like we were talking about podcasting and all that stuff, and you had to. Yeah, well, I just want God's blessing to be on this podcast. You think it is? Um, if you had to say right now, if you had to bet 1,000 of your own you dollars, know my you, answer. Think, you, know you think my God answer. likes this? You think that 100% God is a fan of everything that Bad Christian does? Oh, gosh, no. You changed the question. Yeah, there. you changed <laughs> it on me. You just shifted it. You moved so it. you say God, you, but even that, you think God likes it. Yes. He thinks it's yeah. worthy. Oh, yeah. He thinks you know, praise to him. Do you know how I know it, that God's hand is on it? How? I use a proxy. Okay. The fact that Joey hasn't quit allows me to know that God's hand is on it, because as soon as he's not, Joey will quit. <laughs> <laughs> nah. That's how I'll know that, if God that's, has... That's the thing. So he doesn't speak to me, but he does talk to Joey, apparently. That's the thing. And so when it, Joe, he's going to one day tell him, it's not my hand is not on it anymore, and that's the day Joey will quit. Now, I'll yeah. continue Yeah. after that. I'm just saying... That's how we'll know when God has departed from us and Joey will quit. Well, that, that, that's the thing, though, is I, I actually I am totally fine with doing this podcast. He did that with Emery, by the way. <laughs> I'm totally that's true. I'm totally fine with doing this podcast strictly from an entertainment standpoint. And I and that's kind of how I would answer people's question. Like, well, what's the purpose? Well, we just want to be entertaining. But I do think there is a byproduct to it that, and I, yeah, I would say that God likes it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of this other podcast stuff. We got our own podcast here, so let's get to our guest. And uh, Matt, I think you might have something to say before we get to him. Okay, everybody, this is the time of year that you need to get started and working on booking your vacation. It doesn't have to be flying over to some foreign country. Just think of a simple place to go, maybe the mountains, Smoky Mountains, go out in the woods, go to the beach, go somewhere, take your family, take your loved ones, Go do it. And here's what I like to do. Don't just get some hotel. Get a vacation rental and use Tripping.com when you do it. With Tripping.com, one search lets you compare every home from the world's top vacation rental sites. All in one place to find the best deal on your perfect vacation rental. I use this site. I've used it already. I will use it in the future. Basically, vacation rentals offer more. It's the way to go. More privacy, more space for everyone under one roof. They've got more choices. Some of them even have fully stocked kitchens, extra bedrooms, even hot tubs. All the comforts of your home, except for the best part, it ain't your home. You are out somewhere. Best of all, you can join the millions of travelers who 
have found all the savings that they have found. And these rates are up to 80% less than traditional hotel rooms. Maybe you're planning a spring break. I don't know. Whatever it is. But this site, it aggregates all the stuff from the top websites, all the best ones, and finds it. Because most of the time people go to like a bunch of different websites and compare them. Well, you don't have to do that. You just go to tripping.com. Uh, you can book the vacation home of your dreams with tripping.com slash badchristian. That's T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G dot com slash badchristian. Find your perfect vacation rental. Tripping.com slash badchristian. So what have you been up to, man? Well, okay, so a lot. <laughs> a lot lately. A lot lately. Um, so my band, Sleeping Giant, yep. has been going for like you know 12 years, and we just – did our last fair, two farewell shows and we just finished up as a band um, like two weeks ago. Whoa. So the, the band's first show was my bachelor party show um, on February 17th, 2006. And so Gosh. about like five years ago, we had like a lineup change, but because we're all like homies and like brothers, yeah. it was a big deal. And I, I just wasn't quite done yet. So that was, it was really like a crisis point in that little weird, like band universe. Yeah. And I, I felt bad cause I, I wanted my friends to be with me, but I still wasn't quite, I didn't know why, but I was like, we're not done yet. And so I talked to a mentor and he said, Tommy, here's the thing. Everybody seems to have a vision for the beginning. Very few people ever have a vision for the end. Wow. And so I remember thinking, okay, well, I don't have a vision for the end yet, but I need to get one, especially if I'm willing to keep going without some of my closest friends. Like I better know what I'm doing. And so it was, it took a little while, but we basically been planning the end of Sleeping Giant for two and a half years. <laughs> and so I like, we did some trips and then it's like, okay, what can we do? Let's put out a last project. Yeah. Let's like, you know, have some fun with it. And then, um, we'll bring it to a close uh, it'll come full circle and we'll end 12 years to the date of our first show. Gosh. So we played our last show in Southern California on February 17th um, at the Glass House in, in Southern California. And it was 12 years to the date of our first show. And then Face Down Records was like so kind because they had us out to play their big Face Down Festival like yeah. two two years ago. Um, we're not on the label or anything and they just – but we were. And so – uh, at the end of the night, we talked to the label owner, JD, and we just said, Hey, we're, we're going to, we're going to drop the ball. If we try to put this thing out ourselves, would you have any interest in putting out our final record just to say goodbye? And yeah. you know, all that stuff. And he was like super stoked, which was way kind. So we recorded our last record and put that out. And then, um, that was in January. And then we played our final shows. And, uh, as opposed to doing like a music video, we had some dear friends of ours film, like kind of a goodbye documentary like little short about the band and then uh we're gonna you know we we said goodbye and did the we kind of brought the band in for a landing and then we have so many cool supporters and people that really love what we've been about so we just decided we were going to use the platform of sleeping giant and sort of like the idea of you know selling cool gear and like our merch and just what it meant which was bigger than kind of a band for a lot of people that we were going to um, partner with my friend Cassandra and Edison Lee. They run an amazing uh, nonprofit rescuing and rehabilitating child soldiers, and it's called Justice Rising. Wow. And so we just we we're like going to kind of launch our merch store and maybe make cool designs and you know kind of transition from uh, what was a band into yeah. hopefully we can sell some stuff and do some good and um, just kind of keep having fun with it. We enjoyed we enjoy creating together, but the band is kind of done. And I thought, well, we've got all these people that know who we are. And if we can help 
do something fun like this. I've never seen it. So I was like, well, let's, let's give it a shot. So anyway, so that's kind of like within the band realm. That's been it. And then, uh, was that pretty emotional? I mean, that's gosh, 12 years. What was yeah. the last show? Pretty sad. No, I, that's the point. I, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like freaking out. Cause I feel like I'm not used to good endings. Right. I right. think I'm used to bad endings. And so the, the wisdom of have a vision for the end yeah. was, was, it saved me a lot because we, we, our members that had left were able to come back and play the final two California dates. So we ended, you know, with the best part, like the best people. And, um, we, we killed it. We did a really good job. People said that we ended it well. And so I don't have like grief where I'm like, Oh, like I have so much, like I, I'm, I'm done. I've been done for a while, but I wanted to do right by what we've been given. It was a really cool, it's a cool gift to be able to like, do this. And I never had the dream of it would ever being what it was. I just, I would, I was like the moron crazy lead singer guy that didn't really care. Yeah. And then as it became more important, I was like, Holy cow, this is really cool. But I, I, I was done. I was done yeah. a while ago, but I wanted to make sure we did it right. And so, so I'm there, great. there's going to be some listeners that really just dig you as a person. And they're going to want to check out the band probably for the first time so where like what's the best way to keep up with the like the clothing and the in the documentary and all that stuff? Yeah, just look up um Sleeping Giant as a band and yep. then um our if you go to our Facebook, just Sleeping Giant at Facebook and the company that we use is called Merch Now and yeah. it's just a big store sells stuff for everybody. So if you look up Sleeping Giant on Facebook and then we're on Spotify. So if you don't want to, you yeah. know, if you you're logged into Spotify, you can check out all of our music. Our last record's called I Am and it just came out in January. And so we've got five full lengths. That's crazy to think about. Golly. And so we're done. And uh, yeah, people like it. It's like too late. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to. Hey, but but in 10 years, go ahead and plan a reunion tour and no, rake in. <laughs> You're done. Like, oh, that's the point. It's like I, I hear you. I'm gonna, when I'm done and I get I dude, it blows my mind. I just I I don't know how to describe it. That's got to be a so good feeling to just know. I just don't. Yeah, I'm like I'm. I waited and I, if I was willing to keep going without my like best friends, right. When I'm done, I'm done. Like yeah. if I already put that much time in, I feel like on a personal level, I think I've said it and now it's going to be the next group of young kids coming up. It's going to be their time. Cause yeah. this was so sick. This was like a lot of my twenties and you know, now I'm 37. So this is yeah. like a handful of my thirties too. It's like, God, I'm, I'm too old to be doing this. This should be some, yeah some other people you know so no. yeah thank you but sleeping giant on facebook that's us, probably. now are you the type of person that's gonna keep in touch with your your buddies in the band or like, yeah. yeah yeah like my so um yeah we <laughs> we're friends anyway right. and so uh and then the added benefit is like i actually like them you know yeah. so they're like and their families and stuff it's kind of unique because we went from being a band in one place into like a national band and so our drummers in Texas and now I'm in Utah and a bunch of other dudes are in California and so at the last show was like one of the first time that all of our families got together and it was like dang it we just got to go on vacation or something like let's go let's go camp somewhere like in this next year. Let's like hang out. Cause it, everyone's really decent. These are beautiful people. So yeah. it was nice to, it's nice to finally like our wives and our kids finally getting to hang out and it was a, a madhouse, but it was awesome. So yeah, I mean, I hope so. If well, they'll keep hanging out. Yeah, totally. Well, hey, well, a recommendation, maybe do what uh, Matt and Toby did because if anybody 
will listen to us three dumbasses talk for an hour <laughs> a week than someone that's articulate and smart like yourself. I think people, hey, Sleeping Giant Podcast. There you go, man. You got I know it. I, st- I started one a couple months ago just to try to test out what a podcast was or could I do it. And our, th- our fourth record was called Finished People. And so I launched the like Finished People podcast and was just going through our records like kind of song by song to just give like lyric description. So mm-hmm. I'll probably pick the finished people podcast back up as we keep going. And then, you know, with our brand and stuff. And then probably the craziest thing that I could say that's current. Gosh, this is wild to be sharing this. I forgot that this was a thing for a second there. Oh, it's like, oh, the big- all right, let's hear it. So in 2015, 2015 ish. I, um, my wife and I got hit up by a young at risk team in Europe and um, we helped organize her getting taken out of her home because there was pretty significant abuse going on. And then she ended up being trafficked to Paris. She was rescued from there um, and then put within kind of like an orphanage system. And then pretty extensively, she was she was really violently abused in that orphanage oh for a period God. of time. And so we worked with some friends of ours that ran uh, at-risk youth centers in um, France um, through our connection, which is funny, we have a friend named Manuela who runs an orphanage in Medellin, Colombia, and she knew another group in France. And so they actually organized with the authorities to go pick her up. I'm giving you like the hit by hit because uh-huh. it was so insane that it was like you couldn't script it. It felt like taken in real life. Like, Gosh. and it's just me and my wife. And um, she was 15. She's the same age as my oldest daughter when this was happening. My oldest daughter was 15 and a half at the time. And, uh, we were attempting to even try to like, we would have gone as far as trying to like adopt her. And, um, it was a really brutal story. It was a very Irish story. It did not have a happy ending. And, uh, she passed away in, um, 2000 at the end of that year. Um, to give you some context when the club, what was it? Bataclan, when the Paris bombing happened at the Eagles of death metal show, yeah, she was in Paris giving deposition against one of like someone in her family and this abusive person. And they had to move her hotel because the bombing had gone off in that same area. So that's like the timeline. That's when this was happening. So my wife and I are in this like unique spot where we're working as her counselors with her counselor in France, trying to protect this kid. And, uh, it was a crazy story. And so she, when she passed away, it was really, it was really super hard for my wife, Chrissy and I, and we kept it really like quiet cause it was so crazy. And then just recently what has happened is we decided before she passed away, we told her what her legacy was. Um, and we said everywhere that she had gone, she'd been a catalyst for other people's freedom. Like when she was rescued from the brothel, her and 15 other girls were set free. Um, when the, this organization was shut down, there was other kids that were at risk and staff members that had been being taken advantage of by this sort of sick individual that was at the top yeah. and uh, everywhere that she went at her own risk at her own peril and, and not without her own damage, but every, everywhere she went, she ended up helping to set people free. And so she was so beat up and so sick that she, her body couldn't fight anymore. And uh, so at the end of it, I just told her, I was like, you, you have a legacy of freedom. You were a catalyst for freedom and, and we love you. And she said, I know that I have a family and I know that you guys love me. And, you know, just all this stuff is very like it was deep. And so at the end, she just said, you, you know, you need to keep sharing and there's many more like me. Yeah. And so we didn't know really what to do. And so it's been a long time and we shared it with our uh, we lead a ministry of kind of church for people that don't really fit into church. We lead, we lead home groups and 
cell groups or whatever you want to call it all over the country and all over the world. And we had our annual conference here in Utah and all of our leaders are there and Chrissy got to share it. And it was the first time we talked about it kind of publicly and, yeah. and you know, just all that. So we didn't know what to do. And I was on a run probably six months ago, just jogging. And all of a sudden it hit me like, okay, it was like little waves. And, uh, I said, okay, I'm going to run across the state of Utah. We're going to write Annie's story down in a book. It's going to become a bestseller. Dang. We're going to rescue it. It's like, I was just like, that's what we're going to do. So my wife, uh, actually just met with, uh, someone that's going to, I think help her put this, you know, really powerful story. It's, I write the gospel of Mark version of this story. It's just like the hits. Chrissy carried this person in her heart. And so she has all of the details. So this is my wife's, it's our story as a family, but it's Chrissy's, it's Chrissy's story. And so Chrissy's going to be writing it down and I'm going to run from the top of Utah to the bottom of Utah in October of this year. So just to raise awareness and share at some schools and just to tell a story about, you know, a kid, there's so many points of access that this poor person went through that hopefully it will bring empathy, build some compassion and, and, uh, and maybe even help people be kind to each other. And then, and on the off chance of, uh, either becoming someone that can help organizations. We have so there's so many amazing organizations that are rescuing kids, um, or, or becoming, uh, you know, an organization that actually helps directly to rescue children that are at risk. Um, and so that's kind of what's the newest vehicle of like our life. And we didn't, we didn't really see that coming, but that's what's on the horizon now. So our, our group is called run against traffic and, I, I, I've never done this before. I was just like, okay, it's like 400 and something miles. So I, uh, I'm going to just start at the top where Idaho is and I'm going to run down until I get to the bottom of Utah. And, um, I, I call it suffer camp. I feel like this, this poor kid went through this hard wow. thing. So I'm going to go through a hard thing. Tell and, me her um, name again. The girl's name was Anna. Anna, Anna. I mean, give, give people, I guess like a, a one or two stats to, to really smack them in the face, including myself, like just how, how many kids are being trafficked and how, what, what role does our home country play in this? I mean, I, I, I've heard them before, but I think it's worth, worth saying on air. And, I, man, it'd be really cool to get you back on maybe late September, early October, or whenever you're yeah, not too busy to. gearing up for it. But I, I'd love to just kind of promote what you're doing and, and kind of send you off well or, or something, Any, yeah, anything well, we can do to help. Awesome be super cool. I'd love that. So a good site that I follow that I, I think, you know, I'm not an expert in this, but there are experts in this. And so, um, the site that I follow is called polarisproject.org. And what they said is, uh, (laughs) there's, there's 20, there's almost 21 million victims of human trafficking globally. It's, it's an industry that has surpassed. It used to go drugs, guns, people. Now it's drugs, people guns because in a sick way humans are a renewable resource um and so there it's on the climb uh one out of six endangered runaways is at risk for um sex trafficking or child trafficking you know we're talking forced labor we're talking what looks like prostitution we're talking kidnapping it's connected to poverty it's connected to heart issues in humans it's it's a so anyways um and, and we're not talking just teen, teenager, no, no, teenage kids, girls. Right? We're talking little kids, no. little boys. Yeah. So 30, like for them, the national human trafficking hotline, it, what they said is uh, almost 32,000 cases of human trafficking have been reported just in the last eight years. So I don't know how many people know 30,000 people, but that's a lot. Yeah. And the reality is it's like 
there's a, there's these big events are like hotbeds for some of this stuff. So 68% are trapped for forced labor, 26% are kids and 55% of them are women and girls. And so sleeping giant went to Cambodia four, three, four years ago to work with some friends that have an organization called agape international. Um, and it's Don and Bridget Brewster and they moved into, I want to say that the neighborhood is called Svai Pak and it's in Cambodia and it's the place that Westerners go to have sex with children. Oh, they like, God. it's just a word. Like I, I was, fil we filmed a music video there. I was just like, we've got to do a project to help raise money or something. They took us to the rescue homes. They took us to this place where these kids are getting rehabilitated. And these are like little people. And we played like volleyball with them and like just laughed with these people that had been through this horrific stuff. And, um, we made this music video and literally in the middle of filming this music video just to try to get Sleeping Giant fans to give money to Agape or like be like, yeah, we're fighting together. I'm watching as like on a tuk-tuk, like the little wagon, as some Australian dudes are legit ordering like teenage girls and little boys to their tuk-tuk. Oh and I just told our filmer, I was like, film this piece of crap right here. And so we started filming him and then he ran away. So it's just, it's just what, it's something that people do. And so it's, it's you, it's people being used, but yeah, so millions of people are still involved in the modern day slave trade. And it's, it's not, it has so many different faces, but and, you know, there's a level of complicit behavior at a certain degree. And then it's just downright yeah. demonic and wicked and crazy um, on another yeah. hand. Cause you got people trying to make ends and I get that to a point, but then it, it's, I feel like it's a pretty slippery slope. If you're like, maybe you begin you know, dancing or you become an escort or whatever, or you just get hooked up with the wrong person. That's kind of what happened with, um, this little girl is her mom was, a uh, worked at a university. She was from an affluent family. She spoke six languages and her family began to fall apart. Her mom got hooked into the drug culture and sold her daughter to her boyfriend for drug money. And so it hits drug use. It hits divorce. It hits it. There's so many points of contact where people could become exposed to or, sucked into this really sick world and so we just didn't know it was going to hit and we've been writing songs about it trying to be advocates for it i had no idea it was going to visit my front door through the internet like through a youtube channel where i was doing like youtube devotionals trying to just be an encourager on youtube yeah. and she hit us up like hey i'm 15 can you help me and oh, it was like the God. wildest story ever and uh so anyway so it shaped our journey and uh yeah just it's it's significant it's happening right now Dude, so, that is just, I mean, I, I want to say sorry for the loss of Anna, but at the same time, man, uh, that's so awesome what she's birthing, what what her oh, passing is birthing. It's just unreal. That's Yeah, that's been our hope is like she's not going to be forgotten. Yeah. We know, we knew her and and I know that what she communicated with us and what she told us was like, even though everything else had fallen apart, she she had a family. She knew that she was loved even right. in the midst of this horrific thing she was going through. And there's millions of people that don't know that and, and, and they don't have the benefit of having someone know their name and care about them and fight for them. Yeah. And so, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, it's, it's created something again as, as redemptive people, if God can work everything for good, hopefully us utilizing this horrific journey that this poor person went on and, and bringing awareness or doing something good with it. Maybe something better can come out of it. Um, yeah. You, you know, as a, as a, as a fellow believer, a, a brother in Christ, shall I say, like what, when you, when you see evil at its 
depths like that, like like people that actually would bring physical pleasure on themselves at the expense of like kids. Like, does that does that make you believe in God more because you just see evil in such a uh, I don't know pure form? I don't even know the word to to even say about that. Or does it make you kind of go the other way, like? where are you, God? Like, why in the world would you let this sort of stuff, you know, that uh, all the apologetics that, that we, we talk about all the time. Why, oh, would, yeah, why, would, a, why okay. would a good father, sure. you know, allow evil and suffering and all that stuff? Yeah, like, yeah. What, what does that do to your faith? Just seeing it from, like, you saw it face to face with a real person that you yeah, love, yeah. you know? Totally. I mean, when you walk the killing fields, we walked through the killing fields in Cambodia, you know, and that's the late seventies and the ruler Pol Pot literally said, we're going to take this civilization back to zero. And this was the pearl of East Asia, a whole city. And it was decimated. I mean, millions of just people killed and you're walking through the ground of the killing fields where they would assassinate people. And there's bone and teeth coming up out of the ground. So many people murdered in this so what does it do? Well, here's what it can do for me. And this is what I'm learning about myself is that the hatred that I feel and the, the rage and the resentment that I have, and this will sound funny. It's like rocket raccoon or something yeah. like I didn't ask to be made. So the resentment that I can have that says, I didn't ask for you to put me here. Yeah. My hatred could be galvanizing, meaning I could pick, well, there's light and there's dark. What I'm learning about Jesus though, is that the only thing that I've got in this world is the, the expression of unconditional love and love creates fluidity where I would create a lot of borders and boundaries. So when I can feel the love that is, it should come from a good unconditionally loving God. If that's real, then I should have within my own ability in connection with him, the, the ability to feel love even for these wicked and horrible people. And that's what happened in Cambodia is I, I went to go like, I will legitimately smash the first dude I can find with this Coke bottle that's in my hand as fast as I can. If someone's trying to get out a little kid and then I'm, and then I feel love from outside of me going, this is a, this is a decimated culture. They have, they are disconnected and, and all of a sudden there's compassion where there should just be like the black and white. And what I realized is that black and white has screwed me up more times than I'd like to think. And the reality is that the message for the middle is, is love. It's complicated and it takes a lot more than just drawing those lines, but it's, it's wicked. Yeah. But I think there is that there's galvanizing. It's like, yes, I believe in God even more because when I think of the love that I've experienced, that's so not that I'm like, oh, there's good in the world. And then I look at just the base horrific reality of what people in their selfishness are capable of. And I go, this is hell. Like yes. you've got to be kidding. So I think it can do the pick a side and stand on it. But what I'm, what I'm after is, um, this verse from John, it says, uh, love is perfected in this, that we'll have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, that's what we're like in the world and, and perfected love. That's what, that's what I want to be. And yeah. so if I'm going to go after love, I can't pick a team, man. I got to love and that's way complex and I'm not good at it, but it's in those moments that, yeah, I can see light and I can see dark, but I have to choose love, which I think it does this weird thing, man, where it's, it weaves it all together in some way, 
you know, yeah. pretty yeah. connection. And that's so important on so many different levels too, especially like in like in this political climate. Because I, I oh, start yeah. my mind starts going to the 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 Christians that just have zero tolerance, patience, love, understanding, and even a, a hint of motivation to find <laughs> common ground with a Trump with a Trump voter, for example. Yeah, totally. And 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 there's justification there because well well look at the asshole that Trump is. I mean look what he does. Look at the hatred. Look what he says to women. Look what he yeah, you know look at his track record. We have and, and it's almost like this indignation. Like we have we are justified to have this hate. So I mean it, it it's it's interesting because with what you described and with what you are aiming, that's what resonates with me and that's what I think what our aim should be. Where does does anger play a role within that mindset though? Well, I think that if I can be honest, I, I used anger as a tool and use anger as a tool all the time. Yeah. But I'm realizing that underneath my anger is, is a fear. And it's not always like I'm scared of the dark. It's a fear that I have a deep conviction about something that's going to be lost or it's going to be violated or, it's not just fear like I'm scared. It's fear like I'm committed to something and it's not going to be taken seriously or it's going to be ignored or it's going to be undervalued. And so when you think of people groups that are just marginalized all over the country and there's this this broken history within our nation, there's a whole lot of anger and there's a whole lot of hate that gets put in your heart because there's nowhere for you to put your fear and there's nowhere for your pain to have a voice. And so for me – Anger would be a secondary emotion. If I'm really honest, it's a fear thing. Yeah. When I get afraid, that's when I get pissed off. But and that's where I think people that's where I think people are at. I can have justification for my anger, but the reality is I'm I'm afraid that something I value deeply is going to be uh, compromised, and and I'll have no say, and I and I'll be I'll be victimized because. Um, it's not, I'm not important. I'm not seen. I'm not cared for. I'm not appreciated. And so for me, anger is becoming secondary because I'm good at anger. Like right. I'm good at it. I can voice it. I can write songs with it. I, like, <laughs> I can, I can be a voice for the voiceless. I can right. like, go for it, but I'm realizing I, I blew up at a friend of mine because he made a, a decision that I didn't like. And I was super pissed. And this is a leader. This is someone that's responsible for thousands of people. And I have a relationship with him and I'm like kind of an advisor and I'm thinking, you moron. And I was super like upset with him and I called my wife and my, my, one of my dear friends and just said, help me. Like yeah. I shouldn't be so mad. Why am I so mad? And the first question they asked was like, what are you afraid of? Wow. And the reality was that underneath my anger was, and this is for me, this is not about Trump. This is not about there are dude, real people and real people groups and real cultures that have real things to say that need to be listened to. And that's not entirely what I'm talking about mm -hmm. in this second. What I'm saying is the way that anger manifested for me last week was I'm super pissed at this dude. And I have 27 reasons why I have a right to be angry at this dude. He's a moron. He's blowing it. He sucks. And what I realized was underneath it, was a deep fear in me that I'm so, I'm so not enough in myself that if I'm going to work with you or for you, you need to do stuff perfect because if people don't see you as perfect, they're not going to see me as perfect. And that's a problem for me. And you represent me and you're going to ruin my reputation and you're going to ruin what I'm about. And it was deeply rooted in an insecurity that I couldn't stand on my own and just have a disagreement. Wow. And so I think I have a problem with 
when people get into groupthink together. Yeah. I don't trust. I, I trust. I'm realizing I don't trust a number of groups to speak for me. Yeah. I don't even trust Christianity to speak for me a lot of times. Right. Why? Well, because on some level there's a fear in me that I'll be painted with the same brush as some like, you know, a-hole, ignorant person that has no idea about humans and what they go through and has no exposure to the wonderful people and people groups that are way outside of Christendom that are full of like these extraordinary and wonderful individuals. Like people that are uncultured are going to represent me. People that are going to wear like American flag boxers and – what you know, it's like the whole thing. It's like there's this whole people group that I don't represent and they don't represent me, but somehow they're going to speak for me. And so I'm going to pick the other side real strong. And again, I'm going to be galvanized in my conviction and I'm going to operate without true love and without true empathy. And I'm going to believe the lie that even though we're one human race, somehow we're separate yeah. because of some box. And I think that's the stuff that takes hold a lot. Hey, guys. At some point, you are going to need a super nice suit, whether you go to a fancy wedding or your work puts on a nice formal party. You're going to need a suit eventually. Let me present you with a question here. Would you choose a made-to-measure suit just for you? It's measured for you or a generic off-the-rack suit if both of them were the same price? Well, you'd pick the one measured for you, of course. So your mind probably goes immediately to, well, the made-to-measure suit's got to cost more. I mean, if they're making it just for me, well, the answer to that is no, not with Indochino. Personal experience, it's the best suit I've ever had, by far, and I've bought one from a men's department store. But Indochino was made specifically for me, and the price was way less than what I bought at a store. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear company and has been featured in major publications including GQ, Forbes, and Fast Company. They make suits and shirts made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Guys love the wide selection of high-quality fabrics and the option to personalize all the details, including your lapel, lining, monogram. It works pretty simple, too. I did it online and had simple step-by-step video instructions, which was very good for me, kind of being punchy with clothes. I did it very easily and got an awesome suit. Or you can visit a showroom and shop online at Indochino.com. You pick your fabric, choose your customization, submit your measurements, wait for your custom suit to arrive in just a few weeks. And here's the crazy part. Our listeners today get any premium Indochino suit for just $379, and that is an unbelievable price if you're not familiar with suits. You just go to Indochino.com when entering Bad Christian at checkout, and that's 50% off the regular price for made-to-measure premium suits, and the shipping is free. So it's Indochino.com. This is an unbelievable deal. Promo code BADCHRISTIAN for any premium suit for just $379 and free shipping. Incredible deal for a suit that will fit you better than anything off the rack ever could. What's your take on this then? Because, uh, you know, a, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, including myself, we've, we've talked about this on Bad Christian and, and really processed and wondered, like, should there be a, a motivation to say, yeah, whatever you think of Christian, whatever you're seeing in the media, whatever you're hearing from a lot of these leaders that, like you're saying, hey, that doesn't represent me necessarily. I'm not that. Like, do we have almost like a... Would you say there's a responsibility to to say, look, we're we're not perfect. We have our hangups, but we we want to try to represent love. And when so and so says that a hurricane hit Puerto Rico because they need to repent, repent, that, and yeah, tithe. yeah, that, yeah sure. that's not us. Do should should we distinguish ourselves from that, or should we say, 
nope, those are brothers and sisters. We love them. They're I'm a part of that body, and that just shows that those dummies need a savior just like I do. Well, yeah, and I think in general the key word here is like talk. And I think actions are going to speak a lot stronger than words anyway. We're in this like culture that's inundated with a bunch of people talking and not saying nothing. It's all clickbait. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And so the reality is that the what he said was you the world will know that you are mine if you love. And it's the one thing we don't want to do. And it's the hardest thing to do. So we'll talk, we'll debate, we'll discuss, we'll create forum, we'll like represent our point of views. But the reality is that I'd rather people show up to the church and go like, you guys do, like you you exemplify love in such a strong way that when people say stuff like that, that doesn't even make sense to me. That doesn't look like the Christians I know. And unfortunately, we've reduced this beautiful living word, the word made flesh and living, which can be us being like Christ expressing himself in us, the word made flesh, Jesus living in me means I can give Jesus permission to live through me, but we're not letting him live through us, man. We're just going to the meetings and sitting together and talking and having our political point of views. And the only thing we do is like vote because we certainly don't go to like feed the poor and visit with people in prison and do the stuff we're called to do. So I think the key thing is I think we're inundated with all this like dialogue And ultimately, what Jesus said would actually win the hearts of the world is the way that we love. And that needs to be expressed. So I think, yeah, like I totally think if some morons like God gave you cancer to teach you how to tithe, then you should probably be like, no, that's pretty horrible theology. And that is Jesus never did that. So I'm going to say no. And no, I don't think God sent an earthquake to something. I think there's tectonic plates shifting on the planet. And let's like, let's be intelligent for a second because these are human beings that we're talking about. I think you can get into that. But I think in general, we talk too much and we don't do anything. Yeah, it's it's crazy because I've even thought about like I've seen people that if I had to describe them, I, I would just say you don't have a sound mind right now because everything you see that Trump says or everything you see that mm-hmm. you know big churches are doing, it it drives you crazy in anger. Mm-hmm. And then you're going yeah. on Facebook and then you're going on Twitter. Well, and it's like what what I wonder, again, because I, I'm, I'm stretching myself to try to understand those guys. And, totally. and, so, and sometimes I feel a little too complacent, like, like sh- should I be speaking out more? Because I disagree too. I just don't feel like it's, it's – I, I'm just not the type. Do you think that there's some people that, that are supposed to be agitated all the time? Because I guess I feel like <laughs> one, 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 once, once you lose your soundness of mind and, and you're literally – and I don't even mean this in a disparaging way, but you're literally imbalanced – like you, yeah. you, you are not smooth sailing. Like you are constantly, you know, uh, unbalanced. I'm just like that. I don't think that can be God's will for you. But, but mm-hmm. you know, there's so many people with like social media platforms that are are I think doing a good job by bringing up good points and pointing out statistics. But it's just like, wait a second. Every single time Franklin Graham says something, it's your job to go on there and basically yeah. speak for Christians saying how horrible he is. Yeah, I think in general, it's something to think about because, again, I, I'm still of the generation that is in between the two. And so I get the Internet and yeah. I grew up with it a yeah. little, but I also had it without like I'm that weird thing. And I'm also from the Salt Lake City hardcore scene and like the Internet is not real where I live. Like that's just not. So there's a part where as I watch people do stuff like that, I go, man, this is like kind of a garbage platform that you have 
that's my judgment. Here's the thing. There's a research done by this like neurologist and I, I can't remember the name. Um, but they, they, they did a study on people's brains yeah. and how neurons function and how that creates connection with people that like, they said that, you know, neurons that like fire together, wire together. When you, when you have a shared experience with people in church, in a festival or like whatever, you actually feel connected to each other because you're actually, your brains are firing in the same way. And he said they did a re they did research to see what would happen to people's brains neurologically if they prayed in the spirit, like if they prayed and their brains fired up in these specific regions that doesn't really happen anywhere else. And he said the and most real, powerful, real, real quick, just so I know when you say praying the spirit, are you saying speaking in tongues? Or are you saying like praying yeah, at a deeper level or I think it's praying at a deep level. I think it's praying in tongues. I think yep. it's just, it's deep prayer. It was activating stuff in your okay. brain. And the only thing that came even close to doing that was discussing politics. Oh so number gosh. one to me went when we're operating in a spiritual connection, our brain is going in a unique way. And the only thing that comes close to that or would even mimic some of that power, I think, is when we're political and we talk about conviction and right and wrong. It's like so I think people have a political mindset and it's how they get their hit every day. They get their dopamine hit by processing their politics all the time. And we are spiritual people that live in a soul or that have a, a soul that live in a body and we're denying the deeper reality to me is love always. But if I can get my brain doped up on all my politics, man, I feel like I'm really doing Gosh. something. And so I think people get, it's like a dopamine hit. It's like people that look at, they get addicted to Coke or porn or whatever it is. Like they get their hit every day. And I think people do that to themselves. And that's when people say like, they have a real political spirit. I think people get addicted to politics. Yeah. And I think that's what happens in forums where you can say whatever you want and there's just enough people to support you that you actually think you're doing something. Yeah. But the real change, real transformation happens when when love is exchanged because information isn't it. And yeah. so I just think in general, like what you're describing is like, yeah, man, we're surrounded by people that have nothing to do. And so all they do is they just keep their brain all high all the time on this political thing when love is waiting to right. really transform the world. And we don't want to do that. It's too difficult. Yeah, I could I could almost hear Jesus being like, guys, I, I did not need y'all to be right. Like, that's <laughs> not what I didn't need you to be right. I just needed you to go out and love, you know, I mean, because it's be good. Literally, the shriveled, there's a man with a shriveled hand comes into the church, or the, the mm -hmm. synagogue on the wrong day. He's injured. And Jesus asks the religious leaders is it right to heal or not on the Sabbath? Yeah. And they won't say anything. Can't break the rules. What are you talking about? The rules are so important. And Jesus has the dude stretch out his hand. And I believe it's Brian McLaren. I can't remember what book it was. But he said, is it more important to be right or to be good? Yeah. And, and I think Christians are forfeiting maybe the, the, the dignity of being good, representing the goodness of God, because we are just on the war path to prove to everyone how right we are. And we've never been more wrong. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think in general, on, in a in a in that neurological way, I think people are just addicted to the argument, and it's forums that are a lot of volume and not a lot of substance that people just get hooked on. And I don't have any, I have no value for that kind of stuff. I watch my family rip each other apart, and people in churches that were leading in other places. And I, I call the pastors that are leading them and go, Hey, you guys need to tone that down. You're actually hurting each other yeah. through Facebook. What is the yeah. matter with you? Right. You're violating love for the sake of somewhat social media platform. Like, no, uh, no, not at all. Yeah.
But that's yeah. that's my judgment of it. But I just think in general, people are getting high on the argument. Yeah. And they're missing it. They're missing the point. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. This this conversation is is probably more spiritual than what we typically are, and I love it. I so oh, what, what? No, sorry. Well, no. Let's, let's get no, let's get down to the no. Other I, stuff. No. Uh, no. I want to keep. I want to keep us here. So thinking of, and, and I'll I'll just use the beginning of. Is it sleeping giants or sleeping giant? I don't want one, one giant, one just one up. giant. There's just one giant sleeping. So, <laughs> so let's think of, let's think of that as the timeline. Like what, what is some low hanging fruit when, when you think of how you have changed the most spiritually since 2006, beginning the band um, here in 2018, like if, if, if there were two or three things when you're like, man, in 2006, I cannot believe this is what I believed or this is how I acted. Like what are some totally. of the main ways? Yeah, totally. So I, I really, um, my, my view about the, maybe the future or the end of the world has really shifted in a big way. Um, I wrote songs rooted in an understanding of, um, there's a chapter in Matthew, it's towards the end, Matthew 24. And, and it's one where his disciple, Jesus's disciples, Jesus of Nazareth's disciples ask him, what's the sign of the end of the age and all this stuff. And he begins to describe the temple being ripped apart and all this stuff. And, and I, I was under the impression because of the church background that I was growing in, that that was all stuff that was like going to happen down the line. And man, I can't wait for the end of the world. Cause in my brain, I was still deeply pissed off and, and really bitter and, and upset and rescued. I was rescued. So I didn't care if the rest of the ship went down. I, right. I was just, I was pissed. <laughs> and so I had a, I had a feeling that, and my expression of family was broken. I, I'm my family life. My background life is, was fractured and fragmented like a lot of people's. And so my understanding of, um, Jesus, if Jesus was like a, a brother or a close friend, I, I had those and I love my brothers and I love my friends. And so I got Jesus and my mom is like my homie. And so if the Holy spirit, that like kind of creative, more nurturing, compassionate, or, or even feminine energy, um, would be like what the Holy spirit is like, I'm not saying that is all the time, but for, it was like, I got Jesus and I got the Holy spirit, but father God was the punisher. Yeah. And he was the one that was going to beat up Jesus. So he didn't have to beat me up. And yeah. he was the dude that was going to show up and burn the planet. Cause you know, all these wicked people are never going to learn their lesson. And the only tool that you really need to use is punishment because punishment is what changes people's hearts for sure. So I just had this worldview that I couldn't wait for him to come back and burn the planet. <laughs> I, I, I I literally just that worked I, out I was, so well for your band and your vocals. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> dude, the, the, first two, the first two records, I was like, "This is sick." Like, over, overall, I was in love. I was. I'm. I am in love with with Jesus of Nazareth. I'm. I'm in wonder of him. Yeah. And so I tried really desperately to create worship that made sense to me as a as a you know pissed off hardcore kid. But there was theology in there that was rooted by self hatred hatred of the planet, a dis a disregard for, I don't know, valuing or taking care of the earth in any real way, really having a future. There was, it was, I was like a punk rock kid. So it's like no future. Heck yeah, that's sick. Like let's die with Jesus now. Like I can't yeah. wait to just go out. I'll go out for my faith right now. Like yeah. I'll stand on a stage in Israel and look at all these like, you know, pretty pissed off Muslim kids and, and tell them that I'm a Christian and you know, whatever, and just wait for someone to hit me in the face with a rock. Like I, yeah. I was just like all in and I'm like trying to be as passionate as I can. And the reality is that I, I didn't realize that there was, it 
there was more, not only more holistic views of scripture that actually created a hopeful end time worldview, but it was a dominant theory for 11 or 1200 years. And it was the idea that Jesus had done the significant work of redemption. And now he had actually given us the ability to partake in his nature. And we were meant to, to bless this world until he came back. Yeah. I was just waiting for him to burn it all. And so even the idea that I could have a future, like I had friends that didn't know if they wanted to have kids because what if the Lord comes back? Like they, it was all this fear. And I realized it was in my own family and it was in me. And the minute I realized that I could believe for a future, I started having kids. And as a dad, I looked at my son and I was just like, Jesus, don't come back yet. Yeah. He hasn't gotten in his first fist fight. He, has, he hasn't fallen in love. He's He hasn't driven a car. Like I want him to have such a long, whoa, it's going to mess me up. Yeah. Like a long life. Don't come back yet. Like right. we still got cool stuff to see. And all of a sudden hope began to like enter my experience. And I, and then I, I came across these books and writings of church fathers from other like spheres of influence and went, oh my God, there was people that had hopeful eschatology. Yeah. Where were you when I first got saved? Because right, right. I was just waiting for everything to be bad, and now I'm not. I you were just looking I, at those guys with the suits and those crazy maps, man, that were just pointing yeah, to dragons and <laughs> everywhere. I'm like, yeah, like let's fight the fight. And then I realized, like, I don't want anyone to get hurt. Right. I, I, I want every, I want everyone to know love, and for this world to be totally transformed by the real love of God. Until this whole planet is covered with the knowledge and understanding that that unconditional love exists and then let him come back. But I just didn't know that I could actually take a sense of uh, take a place and believe for I'm going to pass away. But my kids are going to see it like to have a future. I didn't know that I was allowed to do that because I grew up from people that grew up in the Jesus movement and they were just waiting for the rapture to happen or something. So all of their teaching to young Christians was about being radical in the moment and living for now. And there wasn't wisdom for the long haul. Right. And I, I didn't realize I could have it. So I have to go back now. We play when we were playing shows, I'd be like, hey, I wrote the song. It's sick. You should mosh. I don't agree with it anymore. <laughs> but let's have some fun. And everyone will laugh because it's like, sorry, man, I'm in process. Right. Like I, I figured it out. So that's probably it. I think the most significant one was realizing that um, I used to believe that Jesus was going to come back and burn the planet like really quick because we sucked so bad. Yeah. And now I've come to more of a, I think, a, a healthier understanding that Jesus has given us as his people the ability and permission to demonstrate how good he can be. Yeah. And do we you, can do that. Does that, does along those same lines, do, do you think that you're open to more being redeemed? Like maybe not universalism as far as Jesus figuring out a way to save everybody, but do you think maybe here where you're at in your faith, you think, ah, Jesus is probably going to figure out a lot more souls than what I used to think. I, well, I, I hope that anyway, yeah. I, I, without even having the theology of it, I would say, when I would pray, I'd be like, Jesus, like you love me. Right. I know that you love me. So if, if I die and I can like grab three of my friends that don't like you and just run to the gate of heaven and go, just put them on my tab, like, yeah. which is really your tab. Like there's a part of me that I, I believe he's much better than we think. I don't know how that points out because I have a I have a commitment to scripture that is constantly being challenged and growing. But yeah, man, I think he's much better than a lot of our dog, dogmatic boxes give him credit for. Yeah. And he is the thing that I love about him is is his is that is mystery. The beauty of this mystery 
it's revealed in him, but the fullness of the mysterious workings of Jesus in the hearts and lives of people, I cannot wait to see how much awesomer it is than Christianity is giving him credit for. Yeah. Why Why are you personally so convinced that he is who he said that he was? Well, I think in general, um, I think that it's it's a relationship. Yeah. And so <laughs> what I, I have to I have to go to my personal experience when I met him, the invitation was to love the people that were hurting you. And as I followed the principles that I saw written and went, well, this is insane to me, but I'll give it a shot. As I began to follow these principles that he was teaching, like a, like a ninja, some like Jewish ninja guy teaching. I was like, I'll do what you're saying. Cause I'm miserable. I'm going to die. And I'm, I'm lonely and I'm on my own but I'll love these people that are causing such deep pain in my life. I'll try that. Let's see if this works. As I began to exercise the principles of Jesus, I was like, boom, confronted supernaturally with the presence of the spirit of Jesus. And so I've, that began my relationship. And so that's 16, 17 years ago at this Mm -hmm. point. And I just have to say, there's so much that I don't know. And there's so much that I'm, I'm constantly trying to revisit the initially it was apologetics and understanding that there could have, there could be a historical worldview where Jesus of Nazareth existed, um, where he lived and he died. And then the miracle of him rising again, there's evidence for there's ways to rip it apart. But I went, huh? So I can use my brain to have faith. Yeah. But then the minute my faith even was a little tiny bit, the presence of his, the spiritual reality of this like very Eastern religion, you know, began to confront my life. And, and I was awakened in a spiritual way. So as I've practiced walking with him in relationship, he, he has shown himself to be true. And that, and, and not only do I feel like it's true, but his way works. Yeah. So then I'm like, shoot, like even the parts of you that I don't want to be true, you've got more, he's smarter than I am. I don't know how, it's like, he's just smarter than me. And so when I try to second guess it, a lot of times I get myself in trouble. It's as if he knows me better than I know myself. Yeah. And so he's teaching me how to human at a higher level. And and it's been going for 17 years now. So I have to just utilize my experience. I, I started with like, if you didn't really exist and you didn't really rise again, I got nothing. Yeah. So I tried to rip that apart and realize there's there's a ton of historical data. There's way smart people writing really intelligent books for some of these things. And ultimately, the crucifixion is the the hinge that all this is weighted on. And so I'm like, OK, as I would listen to these brilliant men fight with each other, I was yeah. like, wow, there's there's a lot to stand on, as goofy as it sounds. And so I was like, OK, if you rose from the dead, that's the greatest right. miracle in human history. Right. And so I'm I'm believing it. So shoot, that must mean you are the Messiah. And that, yeah. I'll just quote like N.T. Wright where he says, you know, the, the, the hinge of or the crux of Paul's gospel is that Jesus of, Jesus of Nazareth is Israel's promised Messiah and therefore the Savior of the world. Yeah. When I actually began to believe that, I began to experience stuff spiritually that was way deep. And so I've just been sort of like on the journey. Yeah. That's probably why. Yeah. Hey, I, I hear you. Well, dude— Hey, let's get you back on, man, right before you yeah. fuck Utah up, man. You are I going will. to. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah awesome. Be, I would love to. That's Very awesome. cool. Tommy, thanks so much, man. Thank you. All right.
Okay, Tommy Green. Joey, thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's fun. I, he's one of my favorite personalities that we've had on here. And uh, and part of it is just the sound of his voice and his laughter. And I don't know, things like that definitely take me in. He's kind of like, yeah, a jolly, welcoming guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like you feel refreshed just hearing his voice. Like he could probably be saying some really, really messed up stuff that's super negative and brings you down. But because of the tone, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Do you think there's anything to the idea that, like, you know how when you're around, I was watching Neil Brennan stand up, and he was talking about when you're around celebrities, you can you can act cool and act like it's no big deal, but it still is, you're still aware of it. It's still impacting yeah. the way you're acting. He says, like, driving by a cop, like, oh, everything's totally normal. It's yeah. not normal, but you're acting normal, right. basically. And I'm curious, do you think with people that are famous or celebrity, and, I mean, Tommy Green is not big in that world like not not these giant but do you think there's something to the charisma that it takes to become popular that is inherent or is it just the fact that when you know somebody's a front man of a band or you see them on stage or you hear them on the podcast or you see their image or they're on tv that you then start to see them as different in when you're around them do you know what i'm saying is there something yeah. inherent in the charisma or is it simply a product of the notoriety itself so, for instance, Tommy's got a good personality. He works good on uh, interviews. He's good on stage. He's authentic. People feel right. good. He's charming. Is that why he got to the, a position of prominence or public? Or is it that definitely just, has to play a role. It seems that it, way after the fact. It has to play a role into it. I mean, that, let's, the low-hanging fruit is Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan, and um, uh, Barack Obama. I mean, do you think that they could have gotten to where they're at without – having unbelievable personalities. But if they were unknown, would they still stick out in a, in a yes, place? I think so. You know what I'm saying? Would they still be like, oh, yeah, this guy's somebody. Yeah, just, just because, yeah. not, even if it not was every, completely Yeah, unknown. not everybody can be president of the United States. So there were other factors that led them to get there, but they would not have been able to get there. I mean, even George, the, the second George Bush, my gosh, he's, I'm, I, I bet you he's one of the most Fun guys to hang yeah, out. Yeah, but it's still it's still for different people, different ways. You can't imagine that Larry David, if you just saw him in a coffee shop and he was talking to him and you didn't know who he was, he wouldn't stick out as. Yeah, for some special, people, obviously, right? it's their product or content that they create matters more than their personality. But for sure, like if you have a good creation, if you create music or art or whatever, and you have that skill of being personable or likable or charisma, then it skyrockets you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and only certain people can handle stuff like that. Like there's a there's probably literally uh, it sounds crazy. There's probably a million Justin Bieber's, but Justin Bieber's Justin Bieber because he has some charisma and stuff. And so then it not only does he have the product, but he has so, something yeah. else that takes him to that. Well, the perfect yeah, yeah, yeah per you're perfect right. Example. It's a compound effect, and then you then you wind up with confidence on top of that. Like, well, right. I did something. I naturally had charisma, and now people treat me this way, and then it even compounds. And this, yeah. this is not about time. Perf perfect example of this, like. though, because you can apply it to all sorts of situations. There are people, and I'll just name a, an area in Bronx, New York City, that could hang with LeBron James and Kevin Durant, and we don't even know who their names are. And it's because they. What are you talking I, about? They have the same basketball abilities as LeBron James and Kevin Durant, but there's other factors involved in getting to that highest level. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, I see what you mean. You're saying raw athletic versus the drive, determination, the practice, or, or the just luck, training. or just just your your family motivating you to go to college and play for play basketball. I mean, there are people that yeah. are just as good as Kevin Durant, but we'll never know who they are. But they're dominating the court as we speak. 
and everybody thinks they're badass. You don't get it? Maybe. I do. I don't know. Maybe that, I had that too that much Mucinex. Example, I see what you're saying. So maybe you did. Tell them about the BC Clubbers, though, because those are the people that are the unsung heroes, that their charisma, their looks, their personality, everything about well, them They don't have great. to be unsung. Just sing about them real quick, and then they'll be sung heroes. Yeah, sing about them, Joey. Will you sing them? Well, we got a club, and it's called the oh. BC Club, and we like to drink at a pub and talk about our bubs. And, and rub our nubs. Well, at least now they are heroes, sung heroes. So thank you, uh, heroes. They're sung and hung heroes. They have been sung. So you got to sing their names this time, too, so they'll actually be sung heroes when you get the okay, list. Okay, here it is. Unbelievable to me that people are still joining the club at this rate. This yeah. is literally the rate at which people are joining the BC club. We never run out of I'm names. telling you, we, we... So there's something good there. So be a part of have, it. We, if you're not, I know you feel guilty. So just do it. We this have time. people that join the VC Club that have literally told me the first time I heard you guys, I hated you. And I wanted, like, I had a guy at the VC Con tell me that he wrote us an email that was the nastiest, just horrible, insulting email to really get at us. And then he ended up not sending it. And now he's a huge fan. That's kind of crazy. Wow. That's an impact. That's impactful. That's. That's kingdom-minded, obviously. That's right. So anyway, thank you guys. Tucker Yates, Jason Draper, Hope Kaiser, Matthew Moe, I guess. How would y'all... You're supposed to sing How would you pronounce M-E-A-U-X? Is that Moe? Moe. Okay. But you got to sing Stephen Flight and Meredith Monroe and Andrew Gomez and Matthew Teague and David Lawless and Caleb Santana. And then I'll go back to <laughs> the go. beginning and say, Tucker Yates again, Jason Draper, Hope Keisner, Matthew Moe. You guys are fly. Is it not Mew? Is it Mo? Mo, Mew. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I, and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's a beautiful name. I'm gonna say Kanita Nadu too because she's got the coolest name. I'm gonna I'm gonna say her name every single time because that name makes me happy. Silent X is uh, bothersome to me. Silent a X Silent is, X like the that I don't understand. You're it. Get in trouble I'm, with the Cajun crowd, my yeah, friend. You are. Sorry, you are. All right, see y'all later. All right, see you, racist.